The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. A changed life. There are a wide variety of beliefs that are prevalent in our culture and, and of course, widely supported. But the driving common denominator is that these beliefs cannot result in a changed life. If one were to follow Instagram, for example, there are many voices making the claim, quote, this practice will change your life, or, quote, these five methods will be life transforming, or some other claim that the proponent makes in a declarative statement that results are guaranteed. However, in the short term, this might be so. We might see new results, or perhaps in the long term, there's no sustained transformation. And that's what we're looking at when we think of a changed life. Sustained transformation. I want to welcome you to Beside Still Waters. This is the time of day that we devote to drawing near to God, and we do so in a twofold manner. First, by opening and meditating on the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. And second, and equally important, we draw near to God in communion, in prayer, in quietness waiting upon God to reaffirm his word and his presence to our hearts and in our lives. So we are considering what a changed life is. What's the source of it? I think it's necessary for us to slow the pace of life down so we can hear from God. And especially on this topic, we need to examine our lives our walk, and make the needed changes so that we honor God's holy presence. And at the end of the day, this is really what we're trying to do. We're trying, we, we endeavor to honor the holy presence of God in our lives and in our mortal bodies. So today we're examining Acts chapter 8, the first eight verses. And when we examine Acts chapter 8, the narrative opens with Saul's persecution of the church in Jerusalem. And this persecution was the spark, uh, I should say, Stephen's martyrdom was the spark of this persecution. And from that event, the fire was lit, so to speak, and 
The persecution drove believers beyond Jerusalem to the uh, surrounding countries and scattered them abroad. And so it was during these events that the Spirit opens the scene where Philip went down to one of the cities of Samaria, and there he preached Christ to the people. And we are told that they gave heed to it. That is, they embraced it. Their minds, souls, if you will, received the things that were spoken and proclaimed by Philip. Additionally, the preaching of Christ was closely followed by signs of the miraculous, which typically in the book of Acts validated that the preaching of Christ was in fact the truth. The evidence of the truth grew in strength. For example, people saw unclean spirits exiting human beings and crying out when they exited. They saw the paralyzed and the lame healed. And thus the evidence was clearly there which said the power and authority behind the preaching of Christ evidenced that this word was in fact truth. And what was the end result? We are told that there was great joy in that city. So Philip proclaimed one message, and I want you to pay attention to this, one message. But that one message was so powerful that many were affected simultaneously. This is our first evidence that many of the voices we are hearing in our culture today are not authentic, authentic in the sense that it does not result in a transformed life and it doesn't do so on a broad scale level. Meaning, if people in aggregate supported what was endorsed and saw a change in their lives, we could conclude that whatever these voices were proclaiming as truth, it would result in a transformed life on a broad scale. Now, I'm not, I'm not referring to aggregate numbers necessarily. What I'm referring to is the consistent change that becomes a repeatable event regardless of the person. People are presenting what I consider to be a hack, a shortcut, some discovery that might impact a few people and some part of their life. But the people of this Samaritan city saw a transformation with their eyes. They saw a change in people's lives. They saw it. They saw it in the lives of their contemporaries. They saw it in the lives of those who were physically challenged and were healed. They saw it in the lives of those who were incapacitated by demons. They saw people made whole and well again. Those who were held captive by demonic spirits they were now set free. And so the message of the preaching of Christ 
his death, burial, and resurrection was fused with the power of God to change people's lives. This, my friends, this is what is lacking not only in our culture, but in modern-day Christendom. We have, as it were, in our culture today, the word without power. It is what the scripture called a form of godliness, but it is denying the very power of God. And I find this so disturbing. Not only are we in a post-Christian era, but those who embrace faith in Christ have become paltry in evidencing uh, uh, a changed heart, a changed life, the power and grace of God in their lives. People see no evidence of change, of improvement among those who proclaim to be the followers of Christ. And as a result, they are not convinced that there's any merit to this message of new life in Christ. And I say it is to our everlasting shame that our lives display rank carnality and worldliness. Add to that, God's holy standards for living are completely disregarded and people have gone about to establish their own standards for holiness. And alas, <laughs> the lives of many Christians are bankrupt and devoid of the salty influence, as well as the light of the testimony of a changed life, a changed heart. Our light is so dim that it cannot even light a room. Our workplaces, our homes, even our churches are cold and devoid of the warmth of the presence of the Spirit of God. Why? Because there is no evidence that the people who proclaim to be Christians, who proclaim to be indwelt by the Spirit of God, show no evidence of a changed life, no proofs of the power of the Holy Spirit to transform a human being into the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are told that the people gave heed to Philip's message. They gave themselves over to the message. They turned their mind, their bodies, their souls with full attention to what Philip proclaimed about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to stay with me because I'm going somewhere with this. One translation has it that they were, quote, addicted to the message. They cleaved to the message with such intensity and tenacity that the Spirit of God was able to do a transforming work in their lives and minds. And herein lies the secret of a transformed life. You see, people want to dabble in a new thing without a wholehearted commitment to examine whether there is merit in the claims of the proponents of this new thing. As I referenced before, people are simply giving us a new hack, a shortcut, a philosophy, and Christians are falling into the, this, this morass where they're immersing themselves to be addicted to something else. 
Jesus said in John 10.10, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. But when we examine our lives, it is more of a display of the old life, not the new, old habits, not new behaviors, old manner of speech, not a tongue seasoned with grace and the law of kindness on it, Proverbs 31. We are seeking to convince men of the merits of the claims of Christ while our lives, our speech, display a worldly, cold, self-centered, self-infused life, devoid, I say devoid, of the evidence of the indwelling Spirit of God. Now, there are some risks. <laughs> there are always risks when we take a path contrary to the mind of God. One of the risks is the circumstances... <laughs> around us obviously are interfering with the evidence that confirms our lives, our hearts have changed. Circumstances interfere. Circumstances. Let's look at some circumstances. In Acts 8, verses 9 to 25, we are told that, well, the Spirit of God brings us to the risk that can short-circuit proofs in anyone's life. It short-circuits the evidence that there's a change from the core, from the heart. And we find this in a man named Simon. Simon used the magic arts to influence not only the uh, city of Samaria, but the surrounding cities as well. In fact, the scripture said, the nation of Samaria. So he was used of the powers of darkness to cloud the minds of those who might see clearly, but because of his dark arts, his dark influence, they were barred in their minds from recognizing truth. How do we know this? Well, we are told in verse 10 that to him, they had given heed from the smallest to the greatest. And they concluded, quote, this is the power of God, which is called great. So it's noteworthy that the same intensity and focus that they gave when, when they gave heed to Peter's message was the same intensity and focus that they gave to this man, Simon. Conversely, this intensity and focus was the very thing that kept them in and under this deception. They were sold out to it. They were addicted to it. And so having given themselves over to the works of darkness, they evidently were blinded by it. And so Simon had been practicing his art for such a long time that it gained a foothold in the minds of these people and the only power that was sufficient to break it was that of the Spirit of God and the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what broke the powers of darkness. That's what released people 
from the hold, from the blindness, from the cloud that covers their minds, if you will. And you, you, you ask yourself, well, Jesus promised abundant life. How can I have abundant life? You see, this abundant life comes when I fully embrace the declaration that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Or, for example, that Christ gave himself a ransom for many. Or, another scripture that says that the, the Lord Jesus Christ was the righteous who gave himself for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. And there are many such declarations. The Spirit of God uses the claims of our Lord Jesus Christ to tell us that in Christ, there is newness of life. However, we will never taste this life if we do not wholeheartedly, with all of our minds and all of our wills, embrace the fact that Christ Jesus, in fact, died for the ungodly. He became the divinely sent substitute through whom we are brought to God by faith in him. A human being can have a relationship with God. But it's not going to be by shortcuts and hacks and, and methodologies and philosophies. It is through faith in a, a Savior that was not only crucified in my place, in my stead, as me, but when he rose from the dead and I trusted in him, my spirit was resurrected. Christ came to live in me by his spirit, and my task, my duty, my objective throughout life is to be yielded and seeking by his grace that his spirit might fill me so that people might see whom? Christ in me. And so these people wholeheartedly embrace what Simon taught. And Evidently, there were proofs that went along with these dark arts. So much so that the people's minds were clouded and they attributed what he did as evidence of the divine. And that's how we know that people are blinded, that their minds are clouded. When we take the dark arts, the things that the powers of darkness use to deceive people, and we attribute these things to God's holy, divine nature. And so what prevents a human being from having a changed heart? Well, failing to recognize in truth the works of God and attributing those works to the powers of darkness not realizing that we are actually doing so. Now, let's take note of the authority and power of God. How do we know that God was present, that the Spirit of God was working? Well, number one, it was evidenced by the fact that Philip was preaching Christ. The central focus of his message was the Lord Jesus Christ, the death of our Lord Jesus, the substitutionary death of our Lord Jesus. Not only did he die for sinners, but he died as me because my sins were laid on him. He died as Christian Javois, but he died as you. 
And the work of the Spirit of God tells us that when they believed, that's verse 12, when they believed Philip, who was announcing the good news, the glad tidings concerning the kingdom of God and the name of the Lord Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. They turned with the same intensity with which they were addicted to the powers and works of darkness, they now turn to the Lord Jesus with the same intensity and the Spirit of God working amongst them and working within them removed the cloud of unknowing. They took the necessary steps to validate that they had in fact, firstly, changed hearts. This is so important. They didn't validate that their lives were changed by their speech, but it was done through actions that clearly displayed a changed heart. And this is such a vital lesson for all of us. Many try to talk the Christian walk, and it's not talked. It has to be lived. People are convinced when they see lies lived that are so different so unique, so extraordinary. And so many of us try to con uh, uh, attempt to convince people by carefully crafted words without giving careful attention to how we live because it is our lives that validate what we say and not the opposite. And so people perceive that we're just hypocrites. Why? Because our lives are telling a different story than the words we are using. The testimony of the Holy Spirit concerning these people in Samaria is that they embraced with all their hearts the message that Philip proclaimed. And so powerful was this message that even Simon himself, the sorcerer, believed the glad tidings concerning the kingdom of God. Here's a second risk. Sometimes, I think in Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, uh, he made reference to the grave cloth that the new believer tends to wear when they are converted. In other words, sometimes there are old habits, old practices that remain with us, remains in our lives for some time. And what do I mean by this? Well, we are told in verse 13 that Simon not only believed, but he continued constantly with Philip. He stayed with him. He was an observer of the ministry that uh, Philip was executing on, if you will. And when Simon saw the signs and the great works of power that took place, this appealed to him. Now remember, he was involved in the dark arts, which clouded people's minds, and he had power over them. Now he's seeing a different sort of power, and this ignites in him that old lust. You see, my friends, Simon's fleshly nature had a love for power over people, and he used the black arts, the sorceries, to gain this power over people. But that carnal desire was still a part of Simon's life, even after he believed. And Simon also recognized that by the laying of hands that uh, Philip performed, that the Holy Spirit was given. 
And it was the Spirit of God who was the one that was manifesting these works. And it was the Spirit of God that came on those people who believed. Those people who Philip laid his hands on, who the, the apostles laid their hands on. This is what Simon wanted. And his life was so carnal, his heart was so carnal, that he even went so far as to offer Philip money for this power. So you see, just because a person says, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it takes time for them to get past, sometimes, their old practices, the old grave cloths that tend to be clinging to them still. And so the risk, that is, the failure to recognize the work and presence of the Spirit of God opens the door for us to pursue some other carnal philosophy or practice that is inherently blasphemous in its nature. Simon's actions and his request was so egregious that he was told, you thought that the gift of God can be obtained by money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. This man was so far from God in his conduct that he himself could not recognize it, but had to be, if you will, rebuked by a man who walked in holiness. And so again, as a reminder, the risk is our failure to align our life, our lives, our words, our actions, so that there is no disparity between what we proclaim, that is our message, and how we live. And if we would have influence on our culture, it necessitates that our manner of life is clean, is holy, firstly, before God, such that when we speak, both life and lip testifies that we are walking with God. The second critical component to a changed heart is found in uh, verses 22 and uh, 23. This man, Simon, is told, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and supplicate the Lord, if indeed the thought of your heart may be forgiven. For I see you to be in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of unrighteousness. Repentance is not a momentary event. Repentance, if you will, is the entire life turning in a completely different direction. It is a complete reversal of action and direction with an acknowledgement that what I have been doing and continued to do is unholy before God. And so it becomes clear, to me at least, that the, the works of darkness is what I'm turning away from, is what influenced my decisions. And so without repentance, there is no clear, discerning evidence that my life and lip 
are perfectly aligned. Without repentance, it will life and lip <laughs> will always be out of joint. There is no discerning that the influence that I have on those around me is not for good and not for the kingdom of God, but it creates in the hearts of observers a distaste, a disinterest in holy things, a scorning of the message of our Lord Jesus. Why? Because its proponents of that message live carelessly and fail to walk in holiness and in essence, people see that we are simply hypocrites. Repentance springs from an examination of how we have been living. And there must be a clear recognition that the choices and actions today, that I'm displaying today, bring no glory to God, but rather it encourages judgment. In fact, Paul said in similar words to the church at Corinth when he said in, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, the 30th to about the 32nd uh, verse, he says, on this account, many among you are weak and, <clears throat> and infirm and a good many are falling asleep. In the vernacular, you are weak, you are sickly, and some of you are dying. Why? Paul goes on to say, but if we judged ourselves, so were we not judged. But being judged, we are disciplined of the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Here's the vernacular. Their weakness and sickly condition, and even death, were evidences that the Lord was judging individuals in that church. He was disciplining individuals whose lives were carnal. And so Paul essentially told the church at Corinth, because you are living carelessly and not in holiness, <laughs> It necessitated the judgment of a holy God. This judgment was clearly seen because, as I said before, many were weak, sickly, and some died. This is what is pending today for the church of the living God. Judgment from the throne room of God is pending because we fail to assess that we are not living holy lives. A changed heart necessitates a complete turning, a reversal, a going in the opposite direction. Whereas we pursue darkness, we now turn and pursue light. We pursue life in the Lord Jesus Christ. A changed heart must be wary of the influence of past practices, the old grave cloths that are associated with our old life. And many of these past practices, like the grave cloths that cling to us, many of them we are not aware 
that they may be influencing us and those around us and marring our testimony. A changed heart necessitates repentance. When we clearly recognize that our life and lifestyle does not support holy living, but rather indicates that we have been living carelessly in an unholy manner, which incurs the righteous judgment of God in our lives. And so, my friends, if we would see the fruit of change, the fruit of a wholehearted change, a heart filled and energized by faith in our Lord Jesus, if we would see what the Spirit of God would do in us, we must turn wholeheartedly in the direction of the will and purposes of God, repenting of the past life, embracing, if you will, addicting ourselves to the love of God as it is evidenced in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by the Spirit of God and the application of the Word of God that we experienced a changed heart, a changed life. We must, like those in, in those Samaritan cities, embrace wholly and fully the person of our Lord Jesus who came into the world to save sinners. As he said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And my friends, if this is what we seek, we must embrace with the whole heart the person, the work of our Lord Jesus, the substitutionary death, burial, and the resurrection on the third day, not only that he is risen, but the evidence of the resurrection is proof that our sins have been paid for, our record before God expunged, and the Spirit of God has now come down to live in our mortal bodies and make us his living, moving, breathing temples, sacred shrines where he lives and fills. We must embrace with the whole heart the work of our Lord Jesus. And so, our Father, we are asking today that you would give us grace to receive, to believe, to embrace the sacred message that Christ Jesus is the only one, the only way, the only truth, the only life. And no man comes unto you except by him. O oh, Father, infuse our lives with the power and presence of your blessed Holy Spirit for your glory and help us, help us, O oh God, to walk with you, as it were, beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters. <laughs>